Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners again today. This is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha, Nebraska. We're thankful to have this opportunity and the means and the ability to be able to bring these programs to you, teaching God's Word, digging deep into the Scriptures, and really trying to understand in depth and detail what God has communicated to us through the Bible. But at the same time, we strive to explain those teachings in a way that are that is easy to understand and that makes sense for your daily life. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. We want to encourage you to come and check us out in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. 3606 North 108th Street. Bible classes begin on Sunday mornings at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30. And then on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock, we meet back together again for another period of worship and Bible study. On Wednesday evenings, middle of the week, good time to get our spiritual batteries recharged. We get together each Wednesday evening at 6.30 for midweek Bible classes. You're welcome to any and all of these services. We encourage you to come. Get to know us. Let us get to know you. Study God's Word with us. Grow spiritually with us. Worship God with us. Many people from the radio program has done that, have done that over the years, and many have stayed on with us. We hope that you could be one as well. Now, we want to encourage you to tell everybody about these programs. Search the Scriptures. Encourage them to listen. I know many people are not able to be available at all of the times that these programs are broadcast over the air, even though that's several times a day, Monday through Friday. But go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. And when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smart device, whether that's their smartphone or computer or whatever smart device they choose, they will receive these programs every single day, Monday through Friday, right there, and then they can download them and listen at their convenience. Search the scriptures five days a week, but they'll also receive a lot more Bible teaching. They'll receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and what I really consider to be a a gem, and that is a short, only about a 13-minute or so Bible study every single day, 13 minutes, we can fit that into our busy schedules usually, called today's Bible class. But it's seven days a week, keeps us in God's Word, and that's important for the strength of our faith, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So, Take advantage of this opportunity yourself and also tell everybody else you can to do the same. We're going to get back into our study that I've entitled Five Days of Jesus. Five Days of Jesus. Now, we're playing from the church hymn written originally apparently in about 1910. What a beautiful and still such Some people might say, well, I like contemporary. This is as contemporary as it gets, because it's talking about five pivotal days for us in the life of Jesus, or in the life as we understand his life. Five days that Jesus influenced and continues to influence our lives today. One day 
is the name of the song, One Day. Now, we've looked at the first day already. One day when heaven was filled with his praises. One day when sin was as black as could be. Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men. My example is he. Jesus came. In fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah 7 and verse 14, that the virgin should be with child, the angel sent by God to Joseph, the husband-to-be of the betrothed wife-to-be Mary, recognizing that she was with child, and yet they had not yet been joined together fully in marriage, suspecting that she had been unfaithful to him, the angel from God told him, Don't worry. Don't be concerned. She's not been unfaithful. That which is within her is from the Holy Spirit. And she shall bear a child, and you you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And again, her being with child as a virgin was in fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah 7 and verse 14. And so this text we're referring to is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Thank God that he sent his son as our savior into this world. Now then we looked also at the second day of Jesus. We began to look at that last time. In verse 2 of this song, one day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on the tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he. Well, we noted in Luke chapter 23 and verse 33, this speaks in succinct fashion about Jesus going to that cross. When they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals one on the right hand and the other on the left. That place called Calvary. Now, John chapter 19, in John's account of Jesus being crucified, and verse 17 refers to this place by two other names. And he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. And so this hill or mountain, if we can understand it that way, was referred to by three different names in three different languages. Calvary, as we read in Luke chapter 23 and verse 33, and that would have been in Latin. Golgotha, in Hebrew, and the place of a skull in Aramaic, probably indicating that there was a rock formation on this hill or this mountain that looked similar to the shape of a skull. But how apt, how illustrative, and what what image there is there to fulfill the place where Jesus was crucified that physical setting, the place of a skull. But again, that was in the Aramaic. Golgotha in Hebrew, Calvary in Latin. One day, 
at the instigation of the Jewish leaders, Roman soldiers led Jesus up that hill. And there they crucified him. They crucified Jesus. Perhaps one of the most torturous, brutal, and I think we could say from our, our, our perspective, certainly today, inhumane forms of execution that mankind has ever devised. Dying on that cross was, by God's ultimate design, now, not saying that God wanted Jesus to die on the cross, but knowing what would happen, God being all-knowing, omniscient, as the technical term is, seeing even into the future, he knew that though he would send Jesus as the Savior, that even the people who should have been prepared for him, looking for him, and should have thankfully received him with open arms as their Savior, as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, the Savior, God knew that they would reject him and that they would ultimately instigate his crucifixion to try to shut him up because he was already having some degree of influence upon the Jewish people, telling them about being their Savior and leading them to believe in him and follow him, and ultimately they would become Christians in so doing. But the Jewish leadership wanted to shut him up. His enemies wanted to shut him up, and so they had him crucified by the Roman soldiers. In Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 22, Peter said on Pentecost, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. God proved that Jesus was the Savior, is the Savior. He demonstrated that mightily through miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him while he was here in your midst, and you knew about those miracles and wonders and signs. But verse 23 says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. They crucified their Savior. They wanted to shut him up. Oh, but that was not going to happen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, the Apostle Paul, who had initially been an enemy of Jesus and an enemy of the church, of Christians, came to understand his error and repented of that and became a Christian himself and a mighty gospel preacher, a divinely appointed apostle of Jesus and writer of more New Testament books, that is, penmen. The words are actually from God, but Paul wrote them down, of more New Testament books than any other inspired writer. In verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul wrote this, For he, that is God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In going to that cross, Jesus, God the Son, bore on his 
physical body the guilt of all of our sins, the guilt of the sins of all mankind for all time. You can think about sins in your life. Jesus bore those, the guilt of that on the cross, so that if you will come to God through him as your Savior, you can be forgiven of those sins. He already paid the price for your forgiveness, but you've got to come to him. The Hebrews writer wrote in Hebrews 2 and verse 9, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, in that he came in human form, for the suffering of death. He came for the suffering of death to die, in other words, purposefully and purposefully, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. He died on that cross for you and for me. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. He died on that cross to bear your sins and my sins and the sins of everybody who lived before he, came, he went to that cross, the sins of everybody who lived at the time he died on that cross, and the sins of everybody who would live until he comes again on the final day of judgment. Hebrews 10 and verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, once for all. God offered the body of his son on that cross as sacrifice and payment for the debt of your sins and mine. God loves you and loves me that much. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, we see that Jesus served as the ultimate example of righteousness for us so that we could learn true righteousness through his example. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, the apostle Peter wrote, speaking of Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we, you were healed. We learn of true righteousness, the ultimate example of righteousness through Jesus' righteousness. I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 53, but we're not going to read the entire text there of these messianic prophecies that are laid out in rapid succession. But I want us to begin with verse 4. And this is a prophecy of the coming Savior. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came in human form upon this earth. And so the prophet, God guiding the prophet to write these words, the prophet wrote, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes 
we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has, has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. And that reflects what we read earlier in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, did not make Jesus to be sinful, but to make him sin for us. That is to bear the guilt of our sins on his physical body as he hung on that cross. One day, one day, they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day, they nailed him to die on that tree. Brutal execution. Suffering, anguish, despised and rejected. Bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he. I want us to look now, begin to look at the third day of Jesus. One day they left him alone in the garden. One day they rested, he rested from suffering free. Angels came down or his tomb to keep vigil. Hope of the hopeless, my Savior, is he. Having died upon that cross, two men who were, at least to some extent, Jewish men, they came to take the body of Jesus. One named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, actually, but secretly. Another, Joseph of Arimathea, who also was a believer in Jesus, but again, I believe secretly. They came to request the body of Jesus after he had died on that cross. And the Roman, or, uh, the Roman governor granted the body to them. We read beginning in John chapter 19, beginning with verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate, that would be the Roman governor, that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, another secret believer in Jesus, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And they would use this as well, kind of take away the odor of the decaying body of a dead body. And a hundred pounds of such, of such uh, fragrances of, of myrrh and aloes would have been way overboard from a normal burial. Perhaps Nicodemus in bringing a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes was trying in a physical way to express his sorrow for not having come forward more openly as a believer in Jesus. That's just speculation. They took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with spices 
as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now the place where they where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. And so when the words of this song, the third day of Jesus, say, one day they left him alone in the garden, it's referring to that burial place that was in a garden near the place where he was crucified on Golgotha. And so they left him there in that tomb, sealed him up. A large stone was rolled in front of that tomb to seal it and to keep it secure. We turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And I want to read verses 59 and 60 to begin with. And here we read, When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. I wonder what might have gone through his mind as he did those things. Secured Jesus in that tomb, the body thereof, and rolled that large stone. And that stone would have been, almost without question, difficult for one man to roll backwards and forwards all by themselves. He was sealed in that tomb. Then we drop down to verses 65 and 66, and we read this further. Pilate said to them, and this was after the Jewish leadership came to Pilate and said, we want, we want to make his, his tomb secure. We don't want anybody to have the opportunity to break in and steal his body and thereby try to make it look like he arose from the grave because he said he was going to do that. And so they wanted to guard against that. So they went to Pilate, the Roman governor, and he gave them permission. In fact, he placed a guard of Roman soldiers in front of that tomb. He said to them, you have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Sealing the stone and setting the guard. I want to read one more verse along this line. John chapter 20 and verse 12. John chapter 20 and verse 12. And here we read also. Yeah, let me get to that page. John 20 and verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Now this was Mary coming to the tomb. Remember the, 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 the words of that song. Angels came down to keep vigil over that tomb. But God's plan and his purpose was to raise Jesus from the physical dead. When Mary came to check on the tomb, she did not find Jesus there, for he was risen. And we'll look at that more closely next time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, not just for sending Jesus to that cross, but for raising him 
from the physical dead as our risen Savior with all power and majesty and might. Praise be to you, Father. Please forgive us and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.